friends, it can be a terrible, terrible experience, sort of not really knowing what's going to happen to you, what, uh, what things might be in store. I remember once uh, meeting a fellow who was telling me how little sleep he'd been getting because of uh, another restructuring that was happening at his workplace. Uh, this was a big one, lots of people being laid off. And so every morning this guy would go off to work, not really knowing if he'd still have his job at the end of the day. And it was totally stressing him out. It was all he ever wanted to talk about. Uh, it was messing with his head, distracting him so that he was actually less productive on the job, which only made it more likely that he might lose his job, which only he was in this terrible spiral of just not knowing what was going on. And that's, that's an awful place to be, not knowing. I'm sure that's part of uh, the anguish that Rick and Moya would be going through just not knowing what the future would hold. Imagine not knowing what's going to happen to you after you die. Now, I don't want to be morbid about this because death is not something we routinely uh, think about. We actually avoid thinking about it. But if it's bad enough not knowing what's going to happen to us in this life, how much more is it to not know what's going to happen to us in the next life, which is going to last a lot longer, imagine swinging into all eternity and yet not really knowing where your feet were going to land. God doesn't want it to be like that. God actually wants us to know where we will spend eternity, which at least is one of the reasons why God inspired the Apostle John to write the letter of 1 John. This is a letter we're going to be spending a few weeks in this year, working our way through it. And it's a letter, which we will discover, is all about having assurance of eternal life. See, hopefully you've still got your Bibles opened at our reading from chapter 1. If you have, just turn the page or swipe your phone, whatever you're looking at, across into chapter 5, verse 15. We'll get to this verse a little in more detail later on in the year. It's worth having a look at now just to get the big idea of the flow of the book. Chapter 5, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Here is the reason John is writing this letter. He wants those who believe in the Son of God to know that they have eternal life. Now, there's specific reasons as to why they need to be reassured about this. We'll get to that a little bit later as the letter goes on. But for now, can I just ask you to appreciate that John is writing to Christians to assure them that as followers of Jesus, they are absolutely saved. Despite what other people might be telling them, they are, as followers of Jesus, on the right track. They are indeed the children of God and they indeed have eternal life. And friends, you can see this emphasis and I suspect feel the comfort of it on being sure about eternal life. You can see this even beginning to develop in just the opening four verses of the letter that we heard read earlier. Verses that this morning are all about how Jesus has appeared. He really did appear and therefore as followers of Jesus we really do have life with God. 
Let me briefly trace through each of those key thoughts from this morning's reading, starting with the appearing of Jesus. Although, to be more exact, John doesn't technically say that Jesus appeared in these verses. What he says is that the life appeared. Verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, has appeared to us. Now, there's a lot going on in those two verses, lots of ideas crammed into them. Did you notice the key idea about life appearing? It's mentioned twice so that we don't miss it. It's there at the end of verse 1 and into verse 2. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. And it's there again at the end of verse 2. We proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father has appeared to us. Twice we're told that the life has appeared. Which sounds a little weird. It's all very strange and abstract, isn't it? But, but John is, of course, referring to Jesus appearing here. You can tell that because of he, what he's going to go on and say later in the letter. But also, these are phrases that John uses in his gospel to describe Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, we thought about Jesus saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So it's pretty obvious that this life, this word of life, the eternal life who has appeared here, it's Jesus. But if that's the case, why not call him Jesus? Why call him all these other weird things? It just makes it harder to follow, doesn't it? It's partly because of the context of the letter, remember. He's writing to reassure followers of Jesus that they do indeed have eternal life. And so from the very start, John wants them to appreciate that by saying that, of course, you've got eternal life because of this close connection between Jesus and life. I mean, as John has already explained in his gospel, Jesus is the very son of God himself, the one through whom the entire universe has been made. You, me, everyone you're going to meet this week, we're only here because of Jesus. He made us, he sustains us. And so Jesus and life go together, not just like peaches and cream, but peaches and peach trees. You simply can't have one without the other. And therefore, just like Disneyland and Walt Disney are closely linked, and the naming reflects that. Disneyland only exists because of Walt Disney. Well, here in the opening verses, John wants us to realise that life only exists because of Jesus, and so he's choosing names for Jesus that reflect that, that Jesus and life are so synonymous that he is effectively Mr. Life. He is Mr. Word of Life. He is Mr. Eternal Life. And John wants us to know he's appeared. The life appeared, the eternal life which was with the Father has appeared to us. Can you grasp the magnitude of what he's actually saying here? The divine being through whom the entire universe was made, the one who is so important to life that you simply can't have life without him, he has turned up on earth. That's extraordinary. At one level, it almost sounds silly. I mean, if I was to tell you that during the week I bumped into Queen Elizabeth down at Arana Mall, so you laugh. The Queen, Arana Mall, really? John is telling us he bumped into God in Palestine. 
Seriously? That's a little hard to believe. But John wants to assure his readers, remember, that they really do have eternal life and therefore he wants them to know that this appearing of the life really happened. That's why he inserts into these opening verses all those phrases about we have heard, we have seen, we have looked at, we have touched. In verse 1, John even tells us the bits of his body that were involved in it. We have seen with our eyes, he says. Our hands are what touched him, he says. It's all very overstated so as to stress the fact that the life really did appear. It actually happened is what he's saying. I was there. In the words of verse 3, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. A few weeks back during the holidays, uh, I was at an art gallery taking in a bit of culture and I found myself in front of what, what what I remember to be a 15th century painting of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. That's an event that the Apostle John actually describes in his Gospel. Anyway, I found myself in front of this painting of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead just in time for a museum guide to turn up with a group of people on tour and the guide started to explain to them about the painting. So it's a bit of a bonus to listen in on a tour you haven't paid for. What was really interesting was that as they described the scene in the painting of Lazarus being dead but here is Jesus raising him to life, the, guard had, the guide sorry, had to keep stopping to compose herself because she was laughing so much. Because it's just such a weird story. This is too strange to believe, surely. Jesus bringing a man to life? It's laughable. But here in this morning's passage, it's as if the Apostle John is in that little tour group And he's jumping up in the air, waving his arms around and shouting, look, I know, I I know it sounds ridiculous. I was there though. I am telling you what we heard. I'm telling you about stuff we've seen with our own eyes. We're telling you about stuff we've looked at and our hands have touched. He can bring people to life. He is Mr. Eternal Life personified and I'm telling you it happened. Now, friends, I hope you're starting to hear the wonderful encouragement that these words are to us, as John intended it for his original readers. The comfort of knowing that Jesus is not a made-up person. The gospel is not a nice idea. The things that Jesus says he can do for us, they're not make-believe promises. When Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full, When Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life and whoever follows me will never die. When Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. That's Mr. Life talking in history. All of which means that as followers of Jesus, we really do have life with God because of him. And so look with me at verse 3 and notice why John is telling his readers all of this at the beginning. Verse 3, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, 
to catch why he's telling his readers about the reality of Jesus, it's so that they can have fellowship with John. And he's got fellowship with the Father and and Jesus. And that makes for a couple of interesting reasons. Firstly, that phrase that he's telling this in order for his readers to have fellowship with him. That's interesting because it shows that in John's opinion, the way for him and his readers to have a deep level of fellowship with each other, it's for them to share the same understanding of who Jesus is. That's interesting because it's almost the exact opposite of the way um, the world works nowadays. Nowadays, in our politically correct world, the push is on to have fellowship with others, to preserve unity with each other by avoiding talking about Jesus. We want a nice, big, cuddly, ecumenical family. You know, we want Protestants and Catholics and Buddhists and we want people of all faiths all coming together. We don't want to start any arguments, so don't mention Jesus. And let's not talk about anything substantial. However, when John wants to create fellowship and unity, that's exactly when he does want to get all theological about Jesus. That's exactly when he does want to do something substantial. He doesn't want a veneer of fellowship. He wants a genuinely deep fellowship built on the firm foundation of the truth about the real Jesus. Now, friends, that's why... Growth groups are such an important part of our church life together here at DPC. It's why reading the Bible together in our twos and threes is such an integral part of who we are. Because like John here at DPC, we are shooting for substantial, meaningful fellowship based on sharing the same understanding of who Jesus is. Especially so because back in verse 3, did you notice that John is telling his readers about Jesus, not only so that they'll have fellowship with them, but, but also so that they'll have fellowship with God. We proclaim what we've seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. The clear implication is John wants his readers to know about Jesus so that by hearing and believing the things he's telling them about Jesus, they'll get to have fellowship with him and fellowship with God himself. Which makes total sense of what we've already heard. If God has appeared as Jesus, if the life has been here, then the only real way to know that and to benefit about it, the only way to join in and be involved with the life is to be told about it. So you go back to me seeing Queen Elizabeth down the mall. Just to be clear, I didn't, okay? (laughs) Hate there to be a misunderstanding about this. I did not see the Queen at the mall. But I want you to imagine I had, okay? And imagine that the reason the Queen was down the mall was to hand out complimentary holidays to England, all expenses paid, Staying at Buckingham Palace, you just need to tell them at the travel agency when you're in that Liz sent you. (laughs) Now, if that had really happened, that's a piece of news worth passing on, isn't it? As improbable as the news might sound, that's an offer worth passing on. And in fact, because it's such an improbable piece of news, that should only want us to make it pass it on all the more. 
Because no one's going to stumble on it by accident. No one's going to randomly pick up the phone, ring a travel agent, book a holiday to England, ask to stay at Buckingham Palace, and then tell them, Liz sent me. That's the sort of thing you'll only ever do if I tell you about it. And if I do, you're all beauty, Buckingham Palace, here we come. That's what's happening here with John and the news about Jesus. And he hadn't met the Queen at the Mall. Remember, he's met God in Palestine. And it's not an imaginary game. It actually happened in history. He met God in the form of Jesus Christ, God's own son, in the flesh, the life, come to earth to offer us eternal life. An offer we don't deserve, an offer only made possible through his death on the cross uh, when he took the punishment for our sins. But it's an offer that once you've heard about it, once you believe it, once you accept that it happened, once you trust in it, once you act on it like the, readers, uh, the original readers of 1 John did, this is an offer that means you can have fellowship with God. This is an offer that means you have eternal life. This is an offer that means your beauty, new creation, here I come. Are you starting to get a feel for where these opening verses are taking us? Jesus Christ, the word of life, the giver of life, Mr. Life himself, has appeared. And you know what? He really did. And because of that, when we hear the news, when we accept the news, when we accept the offer, we have life with God. I really hope this is the comfort that John was intending for his original readers. I really hope that you're feeling that comfort, the comfort of knowing that when we get together like this this morning and we talk about Jesus and we talk about God and we talk about eternal life, when we join a growth group and we meet up with other Christians and read the Bible, when we encourage each other to stick with Jesus, when we talk to our friends about Jesus, friends, we're not wasting our time. This is not a word game. It's not an ideas fest. It's not made up. It's real. And because of Jesus, we know we have eternal life. It's a great word of comfort. But as well as that, I hope you don't mind if I also offer a bit of a challenge as well here. Even though, look, it's not what John originally had in mind for the intention of these verses. Nevertheless, in the context, I'm wondering whether these verses might also stir us up a bit. Maybe even give us a kick along in terms of how lukewarm we sometimes are at telling people about Jesus, given what John is saying here. I mean, I haven't mentioned it yet, but notice in the reading John's words in verse 4. We write this to make our joy complete. See, John's passing on the news about Jesus not out of a dry sense of duty that he's got to do it. He's passing it on out of a sense of joy, out of excitement. He's thrilled to be able to testify about the word of life appearing. He's ecstatic to let people know that they can have fellowship with God. He's delighted to tell people about Jesus. Now, does that sound like you? Why not? I mean, it's real. 
See, let me return one last time to our imaginary meeting of the Queen down the mall. Again, imagine it happened. I met the Queen at the mall handing out free trips. But this time, imagine me not bothering to tell you about it. So, over morning tea in a little while, uh, you ask me how my week was and I go, well, pretty average I suppose. Hey, hey, did you see that cricket game last Sunday where the guy hit a six in the last over? Hey, didn't we get some rain last Wednesday? How cheesed off would you be for me to know all about this offer of a complimentary trip to England, Queen's Shout, and all I want to talk to you about is the sport and the weather? How little must I think of you to not bother telling you? Do you reckon there's some people in your life you need to tell about Jesus? Because that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and his Son. We write this to make our joy complete. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the comfort of knowing that your gospel is real. Thank you for the assurance of eternal life in knowing that your son truly stepped foot on this planet and really did take our place on the cross so that we could be reconciled to you. Father, thank you for the assurance that this gives us of a place in your new creation. And until that time comes, please fill us with a confidence in your gospel and an excitement to share it. Amen.